Welcome back to the Shared Teaching Podcast. I'm Susan, the host and creator of Shared Teaching, and you are listening to episode number seven. Today we are talking about planning for the unknown. So I know summertime is usually all about prepping, laminating, getting things done for the summer so that we don't have that huge back to school rush when it comes time to start back. But there's so many things that are unknown right now. So I thought we would kind of talk a little bit today about my thoughts on how I'm planning and preparing for the school year that's to come, even though I have no idea what's going on, because I still like to utilize my time in the most efficient way possible. And I don't want to be burdened next year with having to spend way too many hours planning and prepping things. So... Let's just recap first about the CDC guidelines for next year. I'm sure most of you have heard these, but it doesn't hurt to take another look at them, another listen, if you will. So these were released on May 19th, 2020, as of the publishing of this podcast episode. And the CDC is asking for all students to be facing the same direction. So no more grouping of students back to good old-fashioned rows, right? Six feet apart. If they cannot be six feet apart, they are asking for kids to be wearing face masks. And they're recommending cloth face masks. And just a little side note on that. I know there's been a lot of... um, trepidation about how you're going to keep the kids wearing their face mask. I personally don't think it's going to be as big of an issue as we are worrying about. I have a five-year-old daughter and she wears her mask no problem. I might just have to remind her, you know, at the beginning, like, hey, put it on as we go in the store. But she's usually pretty good about it. So just having that conversation with your students and making sure that they're you know, wearing them and why they're wearing them, because that's always important, right? Part of your rules and procedures are to explain the why behind why you have them. And hopefully, you know, some parents will be on board and they will have talked to them about the importance. But let's not worry about that one right now, right? I know there will still be some kids that will fight over it, not wear them. They feel weird with them on, especially if they haven't been asked to wear one this whole time. But I think kind of the peer pressure thing is going to play in here. The more they see their classmates are wearing them, they might not want to be the one that's singled out not having one. So they might actually put one on. Fingers crossed, right? Okay, so face masks are six feet apart. If they cannot be six feet apart, of course, you need. we've all seen the plexiglass signs as we go into the gas station and check out stands, right? So... That's probably what's going to be more realistic for a lot of our schools. I don't know about you, but my classroom is tiny and I'm moving into a new school, but I have a feeling the classroom is still going to be tiny because it's the same exact blueprint of my previous school. And I can't imagine they're giving the new teacher on staff one of the bigger rooms. So I'm just prepared that I will have a small classroom, which means I will probably be dealing with the plexiglass shields in between the desks. Next, we have the shared object. So shared objects need to be limited or cleaned in between use, and they really want to limit the use of sharing electronic devices, toys, books, and games. So as a teacher, immediately the panic sets in because a lot of our teaching is all about centers, right? So 
we'll come back to that. But hold that thought. So one of the things that I'm thinking of is my books, right? It's very important to me that kids are reading, that they have books that are available to them. I predominantly taught my entire teaching career in Title I schools where that reading foundation is extremely important and I know a lot of them don't have access to high quality books at home. So for me, making sure that they have books in the classroom to read is one of my top priorities. So on the Northeast Document Conservatory Center's website, they are recommending the way you disinfect a book to preserve the integrity of the book is that you just leave it alone for 24 to 48 hours. No special cleaners, don't need to spray it down with disinfectant. You just take it from a student that's had it and you leave it alone for that time period. So I'm thinking I'm leaving mine alone for 48 hours because I like that maximum just to be on the safe side. And you wanna make sure that you have some kind of system so you know when they're checking it back in, maybe it's as simple as they have a tub. Check back your books here. There is a lot of research that's been done on this that COVID-19 will not stay on surfaces such as cardboard longer than 24 hours. So it will not live on your books longer than that time period. Not that I'm an expert here, but from what I read, at this moment, unless my school district tells me differently, I'm planning on still having a classroom library. Books will still be checked out to students, but when they return them, they will not just be reshelved in the library like they have been in the past. They will be asked to be placed into a separate container. Okay, so going along with that, you do need some kind of checkout system to kind of figure out who has what. And this has been going on for years, right? But there's a lot of apps that teachers can use. I personally have not used any to scan my books in and have the kids check them out that way. But it might be something I'm going to start looking into soon. Another Facebook group that I was part of mentioned having a Google Form checkout. So the kid simply scans a QR code. It pops open the Google Form. They put their name and the date that they've checked that book out. And you can even have them put the title in. I know my second graders were perfectly capable of putting titles. When I taught first grade, the first grade, we actually collected a class book of books we've read and they hand printed the title of their books. They're perfectly capable of copying down titles of books. So if you teach first grade and up, don't let that deter you from trying this system. You could always have a librarian that kind of checks books in and out for another student. So some of the apps that were recommended were one called Classroom Checkout and then Book Retriever. Again, I don't know anything about these apps. I haven't used them before. I've just seen them mentioned in several threads in Facebook groups, so they might be worth a try. Some of them are free, some of them are not. I know Scholastic also has an app where you can scan the books in and create your classroom library that way. I think I would personally want to see an app that uh, groups your books. So I like to keep my books by genre. So if I could still have that kind of organization to it, 
I think that's the one I would personally choose. I'm also looking at behavior management. So even though we don't know anything about what the classroom's going to look like, most likely a lot of us are going into a blended model with online instruction and classroom instruction. So you still need behavior management, no matter what style of teaching you're doing, whether it's strictly online or in the classroom or both, behavior management is going to be key. Your classroom management, behavior management, okay, I'm interchanging those words, <laughs> but you want to make sure that you have your set rules, your set routines. You especially want to be able to teach them what is proper etiquette for what they're doing when they're online what's appropriate and not. And if you use hand signals in the classroom, introducing hand signals while they're online video is a really good way to manage them as well. That way you know when they have a question, when they wanna you know, talk when someone else is having a discussion, then they can use a hand signal that will get your attention. I know like Zoom has like the raise your hand and that kind of thing, but sometimes that's really tricky for kids to figure out. I mean, I still had my second graders struggling with finding the mute and unmute button after a couple months of being online. So that's something to consider. Maybe hand signal, maybe you send them all home with like little signs that they would just hold up and flash in their video. You know, I mean, who knows? Figure out what works with you or for you, I guess. So really start thinking about how that's going to play in your classroom, what you want the management style to look like and reflect. And I am coming out with a whole new classroom management online program. It's called Classroom Management Adventure, and I'm hoping to launch it here in July. So make sure you stick around my blog, check that out at sharedteaching.com and see when that's coming out if you're really interested in learning more about setting up your classroom management for a successful year. Okay, next is centers. Now centers is a big topic <laughs> and really not one that I know that I have all, all the answers to. But here's what I'm thinking. The CDC is saying that students should not be sharing materials unless they're cleaned in between. So to me, that means I can still have my centers. I just have to make sure that they're not sharing things. So is there a way to take my centers and maybe they're having printable worksheets? Maybe it's a booklet that they have for the whole week or the whole month that goes along with whatever the center is, right? So if you're center workspace has a mat that goes with it is that something that i can reproduce on a piece of paper and that student keeps that piece of paper in their own individual folder and brings that to the center if it requires a pair of dice can i get enough dice for all the students in the classroom to have their own little bag right so i'm thinking of it in terms of that way the other thing i'm thinking of is can I have enough centers that students are not rotating through in a day, but maybe they only do one rotation each day. So maybe there's a math set of centers, and then there may, maybe there's a literacy set of centers. Again, using like the worksheets or the individual dice or spinners component, but then I could wash those things for the next day and then the next group of students would be ready to have those centers, 
right? So just a thought. Another idea is interactive notebooks. Thinking of really utilizing that instead of centers. Now I know some of these things are not ideal, but as teachers, we are highly adaptable, right? So I'm just thinking of ways that I can adapt what's going to make the most sense of how we get through this. And maybe this is only going to last half the year, you know, fingers crossed, toes crossed, ankles crossed, you know, maybe it is going to be just a short term thing. Maybe we can go back to 100% in the classroom before the end of the school year is out. I mean, let's hope so. But in the meantime, let's just brainstorm some of those things. How are we going to make it through? Okay, so on the other end of brainstorming is I am started to look at the difference between a blended and a flipped classroom. And I'm looking on Pinterest for ideas. I'm looking up some quality resources that maybe I want to use for digital instruction. There are digital whole class behavior reward systems. There is a really good science units for second grade that I purchased before school got out from around the campfire, um, campfire with a K. And Linda has done an excellent job with these resources. They're absolutely amazing. They connect to YouTube videos for the kids to watch for extra learning and solidifying, solidifying those topics. But she's also turning them into digital. So now I can upload them into my Google Classroom and assign them that way. So looking at things like that, now I know we don't want to spend a lot more money on curriculum, but talk with your grade level. Have these discussions early. Just kind of get a sense for where you're all thinking. Another idea that I really, really liked was when each teacher takes a subject. And I got this from a girl on Instagram and I really wish I remembered who it was so I could give them proper credit. But she said her grade level team does that. So she was in charge of filming the writing lessons and she would do a proper video of her giving instruction on a writing lesson. And the whole team would utilize those videos. And then each member of the team had a different area of instruction that they covered. So maybe one person did the writing, one person did um, a reading lesson, one person had math, one did science. But that's a really good way to maximize your time and make sure that the learning is there for the kids. Because I don't know about you, but I am not sure how I'm going to manage the online component with the in-class instruction and then repeat it with barely any downtime. Uh, I don't, my district has released a proposal that there is no, there's not going to be any prep periods for a teacher during the day because we have quote unquote Wednesdays. But they also want to have lots of staff development on, you guessed it, Wednesdays. So when am I prepping? When am I discussing with parents? When am I going to be managing all these online things? Because it was a rough March. <laughs> it was a really rough March and a rough April and a rough half May. <laughs> Trying to do all the things with the meetings and the online with the kids, it just, it became impossible. And to have to do recorded lessons and all that at the same time is just crazy. Getting that thought going, 
trying to figure out where you're going to be, what it's going to look like. If you're going to have a classroom, you're still going to need to decorate it, right? So what's the most important things that are going to be on your walls? And making sure you're including that social emotional piece, I think, is going to be more important now than ever because the kids are wanting to go back to a regular classroom and see all their friends. And they're going to get into that situation where that's just not going to be a reality. So let's think of ways that we can support our students in that way. How can we continue building whole class relationships when you only see maybe half your class at a time. So just some food for thought. So recap is we don't always know what we're going to do or what it's going to look like at our school, but what can we control? We can control what happens inside of our classroom for the most part, right? So we, we're really smart, educated people here. We can figure out what our centers might look like if we're going to have to share materials. Maybe we move to just interactive notebooks and use that somehow. Maybe we can have each kid have their own certain supplies. We are always going to need good, strong classroom management rules and routines. So what are those going to look like for us? And books are super important. Are we going to do printables from like, Um, reading A to Z and just have kids take home books and have them be disposable? Or are we going to have a way to hold the books for 24 to 48 hours until they've been disinfected of COVID-19 and have a smooth checkout process? So I hope this episode was very helpful and I will see you in the next episode. Thanks for tuning in. Bye. If you've loved this show, then join me in sharing the teaching, hitting that subscribe button, and leaving us a review on iTunes, so we can be found by more teachers like you who are ready to start sharing the workload. I hope you've enjoyed this episode. Find new episodes each week on shareteaching.com. Thanks for listening to the Share Teaching Podcast. Okay. Um, um, okay. So, so, um, um, hey, um, okay, um, so.